Irish Illustrated Insider is sponsored by VisitSouthBend.com. Is it time to check a Notre Dame home game off your bucket list? Has it been too long since you've soaked in the game day atmosphere in person? Whether it's for the first time ever or in a while, start planning your trip to South Bend to watch the Fighting Irish with ideas and inspiration at VisitSouthBend.com. Welcome back, everybody, to another edition of Irish Illustrated Insider. I'm Tim Priester with Tim O'Malley from Irish Illustrated. And we are joined by John Bryce of Football Scoop. Nordame handles Wake Forest pretty well, 45 to 7. I tell you though, guys, when I sat when I sat down and rewatched the game, I mean, I thought I thought Wake Forest did a really nice job of adjusting to what L Golden did early on. They had a couple drives. They had the block field goal. They were driving again. Um, you know, when, when they had an opportunity to cut it to 14 to 10, it all kind of slipped away from them, though, when Notre Dame performed very well at the start of the third quarter with the fumble recovery, the touchdown, and the uh, the onside kick, which eventually led to a touchdown. Well, they did have a really good quarter. If you break it down just by their offensive gains, they had eight gains of more than 10 yards in the second quarter. Now, if you think about that, let's say they did that every quarter or two quarters. That would have been a heck of a day. But yeah. they had eight gains of over 10 yards in that quarter. They had 11 for the day, none in the fourth quarter, none in the first. That'll hamstring you quite a bit against Notre Dame. But no, I liked what they did. Uh, that reverse pass that that counts as a run in the stats and, and, and should for 20 yards was beautifully designed. And they still had Notre Dame reeling on the touchdown right after that. Uh, you know, other than that, I like to go to the, as I think head coaches have pointed out to us, both Brian Kelly and Marcus Freeman, some, there's some things they're going to come and show you, you haven't seen, and you're going to have to adjust to it. And that's what Al Golden is great at. That's what Clark Lee was great at. And that's why Notre Dame has had such good defenses over the last few years. It's very hard to be perfect against a power five offense with good coaches. And Notre Dame was damn near perfect defensively. And I think very significant is that, um, yeah, Wake Forest did those things and pulled out the tricks or the gadgets, whatever you want to call them, and engineered that one drive. But ultimately, Notre Dame's superiority on both sides of the ball and Al Golden probably being the best assistant coach in the game on Saturday, all those things, in my opinion, rose to the top and are what facilitated Notre Dame running away with this contest. I actually thought the reverse pass, they played fine, and then Thomas Harper messed up for a very rare time when they had the reverse pass, they threw it over his head. He could have just stayed with his guy and yeah. the quarter. I mean, the, the end around would have been contained for four yards. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I thought Warren Ruggiero, their, their offensive coordinator really did a nice job. He did what he had to do. He had to get Nordame's yeah. defensive front seven off of his quarterback who didn't have any experience as a starter prior to that game. And I thought it was, I thought Jason Garrett said some really good things in the NBC broadcast that, you know, when you're when you have a young quarterback out there, you want to do some things where he doesn't have to have to, uh, you know, set protections and go through progressions. You just have this play dialed up. He's got one role. Do it and let let the components around you take care of uh, of their responsibility. And they did a good job. But eventually it was just too much in order in the second half. Sam Hartman throws four touchdown passes. It was so good to get. I mean, how many times we're always doing statistics about the wide receivers and how many targets they had and how few catches they had. Oh, what a great uh, day. It was a it was really a great day. And and you know, I think the great thing about it was that on Monday, when when Iris Illustrated asked Marcus Freeman, you know, what you what you wanted to focus on during the bye week and what has to happen here now, he said the young receivers have to get involved. That was the plan. They did. Rico Flores Jr. Love that kid. I think all of us have a great appreciation for um you know just how hard that kid works the optimism he plays football optimistically he's having he he true when guys say you know i just want to have fun out there rico flores jr has fun playing football for notre dame yeah i pointed on the post game show my favorite part of flores jr is that's how he's going to keep playing for notre dame those weren't that wasn't a 60 yard gain with a missed tackle that got him his 102 yards he was carving out catches same with Jaden Greathouse. Looks like Jaden Greathouse that we all expected. I mean, I don't want to say there's one less loss if Jaden Greathouse never gets hurt, because it certainly wouldn't have been the Louisville game. Maybe it would have been the Ohio State game if he was able to play <laughs> that game. But I mean, he—it's—they've been hurt since prior to that. Uh, but it's good to see. It's good to see Greathouse kind of look super athletic going down that sideline. We love Faison and sticking with it. Tobias Merriweather made two plays. Tobias Merriweather needs to make two more plays against Stanford, and that is turning the corner. And and that's another thing that we asked Marcus Freeman about 
today, Monday, is where the program is right now and how does it continue to build short-term and long-term into what Marcus Freeman envisions. And, and a note we had in the fifth quarter this morning that I think is is very pertinent is that those three rookie receivers for Notre Dame combined for 15 receptions on 17 targets. And I went through painstakingly um, and, and researched all top 10 teams on Saturday in their games and, and their stat boxes. And all of the top 10 teams in the country only had freshman receivers combined for nine catches this past weekend. So you had, you had 15 from Notre Dame's three freshman wide receivers and all top 10 teams in the country had nine wide outs or nine receptions total from freshman wideouts. In homage to Pete Sampson, who's not here, I have to ask John Bryce, did you do that at your breakfast table? A la the uh, writer that used to be on our um, post-game shows with Brian Kelly. <laughs> I did not. I, I, I not, did not. not, I, not I, didn't go over notes at your breakfast table, huh? I, I did that in a nice, uh, easy chair in front of the fireplace uh, <laughs> as Jess worked on the Christmas tree. There you, know, you go. Oh, good. Early, uh, early Christmas decorations. Love to hear it, JB. Um, Jaden Greathouse, Tim, we both, I were sitting up on the ninth floor and I wrote it in today's tale of the tape. I mean, not only was that, wow, that's a Jaden Greathouse that we, you know, we saw early in the year. I, I don't think we didn't see him on a catch and run like that per se. That was explosive. I mean, yeah, he, he looks, he rambles when he catches and runs. So I always think he looks kind of cool, but he looked fast that time. And yes. that's a little different than uh, that was great to see really everybody, but Tyree was involved and he would have been, he got an overturned catch, a very contested catch where it was overturned. Yeah. yeah. And, What's the rule on that? Because he really caught it. I mean, it, the ball can hit the ground as long as you control it. Right. Is that not right? Yeah. I think it must've been ruled that it was moving too much. Yeah. For him to been viewed as control. I agree with you. I thought it was a catch. And and to your point on great house, he just such a long strider that it was, it was really um, to watch it on replay is a greater appreciation for how his long strides take away the angle that wake forest thought it had. You know, of course, Eli Raritan got involved and that was huge because it took 10 games before he caught a pass. He only was yeah. like he was targeted how many times prior to that, Tim? One, uh, one, one, Brigham Young. Yeah. One. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't play Brigham Young this year. No, it's good to see him because we have a question on him and I don't want to I don't want to. I don't even remember the target against Brigham Young either. <laughs> That's what's funny I, Yeah, I vaguely, I vaguely do. But man, what a dime thrown by Sam Hartman on the the touchdown pass. And, you know, again, I wrote this in t today's tale of tape. I'm, I'm not sure that Nordane fans realize just what a specimen Eli Raritan is at six, six and a quarter two fifty. I think you have to be around him to fully appreciate, you know, just, just the size and the length and the, the, the athlete that he is, if they can get him rolling, you know, the key here now is good Lord, find a way to keep him healthy through two more games this year and then through the spring. Cause you sure would like him to have the opportunity to go into an off season, you know, hitting the ground running oh, and being yeah. completely healthy. Cause th then he really will be a beast. Yeah. And I think uh, to clear something up, there's been some misconceptions on our board. Uh, I know Mitchell Evans will be back next year, but Evans got hurt the last weekend of Pittsburgh of, of uh, October. If he's, playing in the opener he came back too fast like kevin bauman re-injured his knee eli raritan injured his other knee eli raritan was not comfortable playing don't mitchell evans should not be ready to go full strength at kyle field he should be your huge call-up in october a la what eli raritan was supposed to be this year for notre dame's offense in october instead of november there's been things that our board say, well, it's six month recovery for ACL. It is not for Mitchell Evans yeah. to come back at that. It's, I mean, it's six months recovery for a regular person to be walking around and for him to him to go to practice and, and do jogging with the trainers. But they have to be careful. October 28th, like Raritan was October 5 and Bauman was September 14th last year. This is you, you want to see Mitchell Evans be your game five. OK, here we go. Mitchell Evans is ready to roll. Yeah, I can't remember when the when the first open date is next year. I know that the the Irish open at Texas A and M, but I agree with your point. Um, you'd like to think that you're continuing to build and develop your depth to where um, you are able to ease those guys back yeah. um, and and not have it be an urgent situation. Not that anybody would be reckless, 
but not that they feel any pressure, but they No, look yeah, it's not reckless. Do I, I don't mean to yeah. insinuate that. I'm just saying, like, there's no way Eli Raritan and Kevin Bauman were truly 100% uh, comfortable playing football in August. That's right. just, it's yeah, just yeah. you're cleared medically, but you're not comfortable doing it. Right, that's what I'm saying. And, and to Notre Dame's charge, they've got to continue to augment those positions so that those guys feel comfortable and confident that they're not taking extra time isn't taking away from their teammates, but it's actually better serving their teammates long run. Can we compare ACLs with Achilles? Because we didn't think Jadarian Price would be able to do some of the things that he's done this year. I know it's two different things. He was July. That's July to to what? Mid-September when he started doing stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, You know, I mean, I hate to, I hate to paint it with such a broad brush, but I, but I do tend to agree with you. You know, if we were, if we were talking about August or even September, I think it depends upon the individual. But end of October makes it me really, really difficult. Which, which gets to my point that it's very, very important that you know Eli Eli Raritan can progress and not have a setback. Yeah. Between you know between now and the next season, because if he has a full off season to get ready, he's going to be really good. He's going to be really good. And then Evans maybe doesn't quite have all that pressure to get back as quickly and it's probably up to flanagan to cut well and i would see no reason why flanagan wouldn't be having a really good office considering he i think everybody's high on flanagan but he exceeded my expectations in that they played him every game this year that's pretty impressive at least from special teams they knew right away cooper flanagan was the guy they were going to use so holden stays gets a mulligan from the clemson game and we move on right yep and uh howard cross keeps moving on to nine tackles on Saturday, and his output as the number two tackler on this team from a nose tackle position is really unbelievable. I, you know, in today's tale of the tape, I said, "Look, we're not we're not guaranteeing, or we're not saying that Howard Cross is definitely coming back next year, but this kid is different than everybody else, and he looks at his opportunity to get a get a master's degree from Notre Dame and his opportunity just to be at Notre Dame." In, in a way that most athletes, you know, they don't look at it the way he does. And so if he's in Notre Dame uniform next year, I don't think we should be shocked. It should be a blessing uh, that Notre Dame fans should be thankful for. I think it could happen. Yeah, I do too. And it, the same situation could happen for Xavier Watts. <laughs> I got to tell you. Let's talk this. about that because <laughs> Xavier Watts's name came up in the press conference today. And and, and on uh, Saturday too with media. He's relations. not a junior. No, he's not. He's not a junior. He's a senior. He, but the, all right, here's it's all good news so far, right? Marcus Freeman said he did not want to be recognized as a senior. <laughs> Okay, well, other seniors do this on senior day, too. I think it's a good sign Xavier Watts did not I, walk out and meet his parents because it's certainly he certainly, if he was sure to be going, would have wanted his parents there after the journey he had at Notre Dame. Yes. Yeah. I mean, if anybody deserves a recognition. No so you're, saying, saying, so you're saying that's a good sign. That, that It's at least a good watch. sign. Now, if he yeah. gets a grade that says you should, he, I don't think he's getting a second. I don't think he will. But if, let's say he does, then of course it's up to him and he lost out on senior day. But I think it's, I think JB, it's a good sign. JB, what do you think? Yeah, I think it shows that he truly has not fully made up his mind. I think that uh, there will be intense NFL uh, discussions in the coming weeks. I think that, um, it's being pointed out to him by some people that it's going to be hard to ever replicate the season that he's done this year. How much can he improve his stock by coming back? Even if he becomes a much more complete player next year, but say only has three interceptions, uh, what's the perception of that? So I think it's a very nuanced situation. I don't think that there is a clear cut answer on it yet, but I do know uh, emphatically that he is a name that has surged into much more prominent NFL draft discussions than even six weeks ago. How about like, we're going to look back and we're going to say, we're going to look at Javante Jean-Baptiste and, and Thomas Harper and say, well, we're saying, I'm saying it right now. Damn. You wish you had more than one year with those two guys, because they are such, they have been so good this year. I, I just, Jean-Baptiste is, I, I I think that he has played his way into NFL consideration just because when you combine his length with his ability to play sideline to sideline, uh, his pass rush capabilities and his improvement against the run, 
I, I just think that he's been sensational this year. Oh, and he's been good in the big games too. That's obviously yeah, the best game, game was Ohio State. Yeah, and and when you talk to people, uh, I've talked to some people in recent weeks at Ohio State. Um, they always felt he had this sort of potential. Nobody could figure out how to unlock it. So maybe that's again testament to Al Golden and Al Washington, as well as what uh, Javante has done for himself. But he he clearly has played at a level this season with Notre Dame that he's never played before, and then he has taken that to an even greater step in Notre Dame's biggest games. Uh, and he, he's a guy that will test very well. He is going to test incredibly well at the combine. And so, yes, to your point, TP, I absolutely agree. He's worked himself into having a legitimate shot next year uh, to make an NFL team. Guys, anything else from uh, the Wake Forest game or um, we covered a lot. We covered a lot of this. Yeah, JB, we covered a lot of this in our instant analysis from from uh, Marcus Freeman earlier today. Yeah, the, the only thing, the overriding thing that I want to point out is that I think this is a team, a better team, when it plays aggressive and it plays with confidence. And I think that starts at the top down. And I think we saw Marcus Freeman and all the assistant coaches willing to be much more aggressive this Saturday. And then we saw them more confident. And we saw Marcus Freeman taking those timeouts again right before the half. Uh, I just think those are uh, messages within messages that really help your team. One is both. These are both real comments, but one is relevant for the future and one is tongue in cheek and priest. You're going to be able to pick it out. Uh, Christian Gray it, for a guy that played about nine snaps. That guy is going to be a fantastic corner for Notre Dame. Holy cow. He is. Uh, a, a, I mean, any other Notre Dame team, you'd be like, why doesn't that guy start? But you don't say that on this Notre Dame team. Um, and the other thing is, has anybody ever made more plays in the fourth quarter when he gets inserted into a game that's over? Per snap than Aiden Kanaya. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. I, you know what? Darn it! I meant to mention that in today's story. Um, <laughs> no, I'm not, I'm not. I'm not kidding about that. Now, of no, course, it doesn't I really mean, matter kid, for the big picture. It's it's incredible. That kid could have played a lot of college football for. I mean, I think he could have played for a lower, certainly played for a lower level Power Five. Yes, and been very, very, very good. Would have been a would have been a three year starter for a group of five team. Uh, you know, it just never happened, and we'll we're all, we'll get off that bandwagon now. Uh, to you and yeah, me, I just had to get it in. I think he now, had thirty I, snaps I, and seven stuffs this year. <laughs> it's just insane. <laughs> I hear you. Another, another thing that I forgot to mention, and uh, I don't know if you guys have gone through the game completely, but um, I forgot to mention this. If when Riley Mills find, finds out the picture that was submitted of him. For the for senior day, you know how on uh, oh, Andy yes. yeah, yeah, shows. Yeah. Uh, did you see it? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, when Riley Mills finds out who submitted that picture, he's going to be pissed, man. Because he's he he's become a pretty good football player, and I, and I and I did feel like at, watching the game, I felt like you know maybe Riley Mills is ready to. I'm mean, from a strength standpoint, Riley Mills yeah. is ready to to go to the NFL. I still think it would be in his best interest in his best interest, not mine or yours or Notre Dame's. Yeah. I think it would be in his best interest to come back for another year. But, man, he's had a really, really strong second half of the year. And strength-wise, pure physical strength-wise, he's he has finally untapped uh, and found a way to fully maximize that strength. If I could pose one quick question as we talk about these guys with, with decisions yeah. to make, I wonder, um, and, and I'm throwing it out there, how much of a factor is not knowing who your strength coach is going to be in January? How much How much maybe does that influence whether a guy is deciding to go pro or not? Because there was that there was such belief and trust in Matt Bayless and his system that those guys knew they were going to go into an offseason and become a better physical product from their work with Bayless. And I'm sure that Marcus and company will make a great hire with whomever they get to replace Bayless. But I do think that that's a question that if we're asking it here, I bet they're asking it of Marcus Freeman or their parents are asking it of Marcus Freeman in those meetings that we keep hearing about. The good news is he can answer it more honestly to them than he can to us. <laughs> uh, yeah. I, I think he'll probably paint the picture of what he wants in a strength coach and hope that works. Um, my my one thing with Mills, and I agree with you, Tim, and you've been firmly in the I need Mills to show me camp because I think Irish Illustrated as a unit and Pete Sampson from The Athletic, we have probably put the cart ahead of the horse as for his sophomore, junior, and senior year summers each time. 
for Riley Mills. Uh, this year, I think he, I think he has had a very good year. My guess, and this, I am not using inside information right here. Just want that to make that clear, except for this first part. Riley Mills asked about going last year when he wasn't close to being an NFL player. That would make me guess he would go after this year, unless he, unless he has the the vision of I could be one of the best defensive linemen in the country next year, or something along those lines. Yeah, and I, I mean, I think he has come so far. There's no doubt about that, and and great respect for that. But I would imagine that the NFL is going to say. From a technique wise, from you know, just consistency getting off blocks. He was going up against, you know, that Jurgens kid at, at at left guard who really was a I mean, I thought he was kind of a punk a few times uh, in rewatching the game with Bertrand and then he he faked, he, he kind of got a shove at the end of the play and then he faked falling down like or he fell down faking yeah. like he had been hit hard, which I thought was was pretty cheap. But Mills had his hands full uh, with that guy. There's no doubt about it. Both guys, both guys won. Both guys had, you know, their moments where they played really well. But uh, I, you know, I just think Tim that the NFL is going to say you're not there yet, technique wise. And I he, think he, I, I agree with you, but I think he is not going to hear it. I, Does that, that make sense? That I think there's, a, I think there's a very good chance that you're correct there, John. You have any insight into that? No, uh, again, he Tim's point is, is very well made. He absolutely got all of the information he could a year ago um, when you play those interior positions and you're worried about the potential for injury on every play. Significant injury can happen at any time. Uh, and then again, his strength numbers. Uh, I'm with I'm with T.O. and thinking that he's probably a lean toward the NFL. Yeah, I would agree with that. But man, he really needs to whoever whoever submitted that picture, he needs to give them a little bit of. <laughs> That's how we got on Riley Mills. Uh, and also, okay. he is a four year senior graduate for a contributor, so he'd be right. he'd be doing a fifth year COVID thing. Right. You've heard us talk about home field apparel since the start of the season. There are a lot of collegiate apparel brands out there, but we wanted to partner with Home Field because their designs are the best there is. Some of Irish Illustrated's favorites are the Sam Hartman Victory, Sam Hartman Victory March T the script tee, and the retro long sleeve. Be sure to go to homefieldapparel.com, filter by Notre Dame, and see what we're talking about. There's also currently an exclusive football bundle, which includes a baseball tee, sweats, a hoodie, and more. It's the perfect gift for a fellow Irish fan or a perfect gift to treat yourself for being a loyal Notre Dame fan. And our listeners get an exclusive deal using code Irish Illustrated. Irish Illustrated gets you 15% off your first order. We know you're all wearing Nordam gear, so if you're in need of a refresh, we really think you should check out Homefield Apparel. Their designs are super unique, and a lot of thought goes into each concept. There's really nothing else on the market quite like Homefield is doing. You can find them at homefieldapparel.com, and again, use code Irish Illustrated for 15% off your first order. You know what's next? Segment two, burning up the boards. If you're coming to a game this season, you have to check out Game Day Your Way, the official tailgate service provider of Notre Dame. Game Day Your Way offers everything you need, including tailgate gear, catering, and even beverage delivery right to your spot. And their Irish Express transportation from Chicago allows you to tailgate while you travel to their all-inclusive party zone in South Bend. Let Game Day deal with all the hassle so you can focus on the fun. For tailgates, tickets, transportation, and more, visit gamedayyourway.com. Some things are just made for each other, like tailgates and touchdowns. We're adding one more pair to the list, Aer Lingus and college football. Join us in Dublin this August for the Aer Lingus College Football Classic. Too soon? Plan your winter or spring break now with non-stop flights from cities including Chicago, Boston, Los Angeles and New York. Fly in comfort to Dublin, our European hub. Go coast to coast and discover the sights of Ireland or explore any of the 50 plus European cities we connect to, including Amsterdam, London, Paris and Rome. Visit aerlingus.com to book today. Welcome back to segment two, Burning Up the Boards. Our first question comes from an unnamed source. This is an interesting one. I haven't seen that before. If Joe Alt and Blake Fisher leave, who are the tackles against Texas A&M? Are both on the current roster? That's an unnamed source because I didn't put the name in there. Um, wow, that's a good question. Uh, because they're tackles, I will say both are on the current roster. Yeah, I think I think Tosh Baker is is one of those. Well, I was it's, just thinking it's hard to get a tackle to Notre Dame out of a fifth year group of five that's better than what Notre Dame has. Yeah, there was a- as we've said a lot, 
they might not have proven anything, but all these guys are top 200 players. Yeah, there was a lot of talk on our message board about about getting a quality tackle, a proven tackle in transfer portal, and I get that. I, I throw out Tosh Baker's name, Emil Wagner. Um, I mean, those would be the, the top two candidates now, right? Jagasaw, if they like him yeah, in tackle. I was, yeah, yeah, I was going to say Jagasaw. I think I think Jagasaw will absolutely have a say in that matter and um, will be given ample opportunity to compete for and earn a starting tackle job next season. Tosh Baker did not get introduced on senior day either as a senior it is worth noting for this particular conversation okay yeah and and you know Jagasaw we saw at guard but I think that was just a function of they were looking for a backup Christophic wasn't quite getting giving them what they were looking for during the preseason so you know I don't know I I, I would I would imagine that both starting tackles are on the roster um I am not I am all for finding a starting tackle that's worthy of starting tackle at Notre yeah. Dame but I don't I just don't think it'll play out that way. Now, offensive linemen are different in so many different ways. They're different when they commit. They're different when they, you know, in terms of percentage of guys that stay committed and and things like this as well. Like like proven offensive tackles just picking up stakes and moving on to another school. They just don't. They're different. They're different. They're they're and I like I like the difference uh, in these guys because they're. They're committed to the cause more they more than they are uh, individual accolades. Like three hundred pound Rico Flores. You'd like that? No, they're like three hundred pound Rico Flores. He's committed oh. to the cause. No, it's ah, hard yes. to imagine a guy embracing Notre Dame more in his first nine months at a program than Rico. Uh, I mean, a West Coast guy. I, I should have. A lot of guys embrace Notre Dame from, from the Midwest and from Chicago, but yeah. a West Coast West Coast wide receiver, by the way, embracing Notre Dame more than, than Rico Flores. John, how do you see the the tackle position uh, breaking down next next year? Yeah, I like the the three that you mentioned with with Baker, Emil, and Jagasaw. I think would be the top three. Um, I think that that's where things are right now. I do believe Notre Dame is open to looking for help in the portal. Uh, as O'Malley alluded to, there can sometimes be some uh, obstacles within that. It's not as easy as just simply looking at the free agency pool and deciding who you're going to go get. Uh, but I do know inside the building that they're very, very high on the future of Jagasaw and believe that he is um, very poised to continue to develop and compete to be a stalwart tackle for the program, not just a guy that is a, a plug-in starter, but a guy that they think can earn a starting position and then entrench himself at that position. And, hey, let's be fair. We might have known more about Jagasa in August if he did not have the knee injury in high school or knee surgery right. late because right. that we we I wrote him off because of information we had heard that he won't be available to help because, of you know, he, he gained a lot of weight. Um when you have knee surgery and you're a 17 year old, but he looked, he was definitely in the mix as a reserve in August. Next question is from ND 1012. It's a two-parter. First is, did you feel the pass protection was better with the two new starters? And will they continue being starters against Stanford and the bowl opponent? I think those are two different things. David Lopez five adds, how would you evaluate the play of the two offensive linemen who made their first start versus Wake? Yeah, let me first of all give uh, credit to Doc Irish for that first question that you asked him. It was a good it was a good question by Doc Irish too. That's... Yeah, it was. It was. We appreciate that. Um, I I thought the pass protection was very good. I, I thought the two young guys, I thought they played well. I thought they worked well together in tandem when they double teamed. Or yeah, when they double teamed, uh, they were a wall. They're 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 see Carell isn't nearly as long when those two guys were side by side walling off a pass rush. There was there was some there was some pretty good length there. And so, you know, I thought they did a good job there. You know, with with young guys, I mean, I don't know that they got a tremendous amount of push. I think Craig did more than Shrouth. I thought Craig did more good things working his way up to the second level than Shrouth did. Um I you know when you're a young offensive lineman, sometimes you find yourself looking for somebody to to hit. You're not on somebody. I, th I thought I saw that quite a bit, bit on the film. But having said all that, I, I thought they held up pretty well, and they were really good as pass blockers. Yeah, I, I thought that from a from a physicality standpoint, they did some really nice things that they acquitted themselves well. To to your point, Tim, I know exactly what you're talking about. You saw a few plays 
um, where, where Notre Dame was largely able to escape disaster, um, but maybe one or two of those guys whipped his neck left or right to see who he should have been engaging and maybe didn't get engaged, which, again, is why, as we alluded to uh, on instant analysis after today's press conference, I'm really excited to see the next step for Billy Shrouth because of yeah. what we saw in a really tough situation out of Craig at Clemson. And then I felt he built upon that against Wake Forest. And again, um, we're not wishing concussion or injury on anyone whatsoever, but I do believe uh, Ashton Craig and Billy Shrouth having to play, play these games is an absolute blessing for 2024 Notre Dame football. We did not mention Shrouth's name uh, in the previous question for who could be a starting tackle. Um, we throw that out there a lot. I like Billy Shroff as a guard going forward, um, but I know that question will be on our message board, so that's why I'm addressing it here. Uh, the old get your five best on the field. I just think he he can be a tremendous guard going forward. Um, so I, I keep him in the guard category. Yeah, I agree. I, I mean, I, I I think his best position is guard, certainly, uh, but somebody's an odd man out there, whether that's that's okay. Or Coogan. I, like I've seen a lot of commentary about how Coogan played, uh, has played up to this point. I think he's played better than, than some of the comments that I read. I, I'm not saying that he's nailed down a starting job moving forward, right. but I think too often we see a bad play or two and then just determine that the guy is no good or yes. had a bad game. And when there are 65 snaps, two bad snaps, is a hugely winning performance. So you can't, you can't always based upon that. So um, I think, you know, if you were to play Shrouth at tackle, I think, first of all, you'd go right tackle as opposed to le uh, left, but his best positions guard. There's no doubt about it. Right. Next question from IC gold. Here's one for the great loose emoji. Devin Ford and Eli Raritan scoring against Wake Forest leaves Braylon James as the only healthy scholarship skill position player without a TD in 2023. What do you make of this? Is it happenstance or a sign of high quality depth across the roster? Uh, I think Nordame's depth is, is, is really good. It's got, it continues to get better. Um, but I think it's more of a function of, and, and we even go back to our original uh, analysis of Sam Hartman and what he was bringing to Nordame. I think it has more to do with Sam Hartman's ability to scan a field and go through his, progressions and and literally at times actually look through four and five options sometimes going back to one of the original options there'd also be more guys without touchdown catches if your two starting best receivers were not rico flores and whoever is the other one right now uh if their names were will fuller and chase claypool there would be five fewer guys without touchdowns on this roster because those guys would have 25. And even if Jaden Thomas had been able to stay healthy this year, he would have the most touchdowns receptions, yeah. uh, touchdown receptions. What do you think, John? I completely agree. I think it's more about um, guys that have been thrust into roles um, yeah. than it is anything negative about any one person. And I think that um, Braylon James was slower uh, to develop in August when Flores and Great House were really asserting themselves. And then midseason, I do think that he found a different gear and, and started developing at a better pace, started retaining some of the information in a better manner and made it close to where he was getting to a point to earn the coach's trust. These bowl practices will be as important for Braylon James as just about any uh, skill position player other than a quarterback for Notre Dame coming up. I'm glad you brought that up because this bull practice, there's two things. First of all, Braylon James, we, as we know, started way behind the eight ball going into August because he had a bad spring. He had a, he had a better August than he had a spring. He was nowhere near those guys going into August, which is great news that he made varsity eventually. Um, like red shirt freshman, which is what Braylon James will be red shirt freshman. CJ pro size broke out during bowl practices, Tory Hunter. He was injured, but Torrey Hunter, the redshirt freshman, broke out during bowl practices. This is definitely his time because I thought Eric Hansen asked a good question today. I don't think he got the answer he needed. You need to treat Jaden Thomas with kid gloves for the next seven days to make sure he's fully healthy going into the bowl game and prep because I think you can handle Stanford with what you have at wide receiver right now. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree with that, Tim. He's got to have a chance, an extended period of time where, where he can get healthy so he can – and this, it would be great if he could end the season on a high note in a bowl game. Uh, but man, I, you know, we can't, 
like it, it, Jane Thomas kind of like at this point out of sight, out of mind. And and that that's that was the leader of the wide receiving yeah, core yeah. coming into the season. That that you know, that's a huge um that, that's a huge loss for Jared Parker. It's a huge loss for Sam Hartman. It was a huge loss for the running game. Remember earlier in the year, we had it illustrated to us a couple times. We can't run a couple plays. This wasn't public. We can't run a couple plays because Jaden Thomas is the lead blocker coming in motion. And then you saw those once or twice. Like, oh, gosh, that block was not possible. Because these yeah. freshmen do a great job trying to block, but Jaden Thomas is better at it. Yeah. But as it, I mean, as it relates to the original question by um, IC Gold, yeah. I mean, Nordheim has a bunch of skill position players. They're freshmen have been good. Faison's been a surprise. He kind of replaces yeah. Braylon James in the, in the equation. And then the group that's coming in, we look, we know that it's, it's generally, it's hard for a freshman receiver to hit the ground running of, of course, but several of these guys did this year and they really like Michael Gilbert and Cam Williams in particular. And Logan Saldate has, has had a great senior year. So the the receiver room is getting better and better. Do they still need a, a grad transfer at receiver? Absolutely. And if you got not all three receivers are hitting next year, that's no, no, no. And, it, and if you get a grad transfer receiver, and if there's a second one that's good and you want him, hit him too. It's good because you can play eight. You can rotate eight if you have the right core of receivers. Uh, I don't think Chance and Stucky agrees with you, Tim O'Malley. So no, I don't think so either. But he would have he would have loved to have had one of those guys rotating in during the season. It's a long season. You don't have to rotate eight in a game. You got to rotate eight in 12 games. That was kind of my point. I know most people have heard this, but for those that haven't, in a preseason conversation about the number of receivers needed. With the nicest guy ever. He did not like that. (laughs) They only needed seven, and Tim O'Malley disagreed with that. And uh, O'Malley should be placed on the coaching staff now. Yeah, there we go. (laughs) Next question, Kate Garrity, eight, with the news from Tom Loy that the defensive tackle flip from Georgia isn't likely to happen. Do you think Notre Dame will try to pursue another class of 24 recruit or simply go portal? John, go ahead. I think that they're evaluating where they are with things they're seeing. Um, what could, what could potentially open some doors for Notre Dame on a 24 recruit, as opposed to the portal could be the uh, musical chairs that are already unfolding in the co- coaching carousel and some more that are expected to unfold in the coming days. So I don't think that Notre Dame is just ready to immediately say we're going shopping straight in the portal on the D-line. I think Notre Dame would uh, ultimately like the opportunity to recruit someone on the recruiting trail and then also be able to evaluate and potentially find a fit in the transfer portal. Again, that opens December 4th, the Monday after all the championship games. And I do want to remind it's 15 days shorter this year. So it opens December 4th and it ends in 30 days. Whereas in oh. previous, whereas in previous iterations of the portal, it was a 45 day window. So it is a much condensed window this year. And then our early signing period opens December 20th and it just runs two days through December 22nd. Those two elements are significant to me. Those are two elements that are honestly um, driving some of the coaching firings that we've already seen throughout the sport the last two weekends. Well, I think it goes without saying that the decisions made by Howard, Howard Cross, Third, and Riley Mills. Will, I know who I'm recruiting. They're five stars right now. Well, yeah, yeah, no, no, no doubt about it. I mean, Howard Cross is a five star performer for Notre Dame, and Riley Mills is a high four with the way that that he's come along. So I think a lot of it is is tied to that. I it, it's that time of year where we remind people of the roster that has. The, the portion of the roster that's been ignored because Devin Houston is a freshman this year that has been out of sight, out of mind. Uh, you know, we didn't, nobody asked about Gabe Rubio. Gabe Rubio, I don't think. he I, played according to played. Pro Football Focus. Okay. I haven't seen it. Um, I did not look at the very end to see his three plays. That's why I didn't ask, or I definitely would have. Yeah. Uh, in Canina is, we would assume, done at Notre Dame. Jason Anye is a key man moving forward. Uh, Armel Mukum got in the game and made a stop. Ah, man, I don't, you know, beyond. I mean, Heinish, they like Heinish as a, oh, but I'm he's sorry. a probably good rotational guy. They, yep. like, they like Donovan Heinish. Yeah, absolutely. But man, Cross and Mills are uh, yes. really, really, really important to the defensive front in 2024. You want grown men in the middle of your defense. I saw some questions about what freshmen can come in and start on that defense and the answer i would like to tell you is none of them 
You, you don't want that. They, again, I think the I think the stat that we had um, in a notebook last Thursday and again this morning in fifth quarter, uh, you can extrapolate it to a number of positions. You cannot be a top 10 program relying on true freshmen in all of these key positions and going where you want to be as a program. And so uh, I'm not going to assume everybody was listening at the beginning of the podcast. They might just fast forward to this um, again. The top 10 teams in the country over the weekend, all of their freshman wide receivers combined in their games on Saturday for nine receptions. Notre Dame got 15 catches out of its three freshmen. That's awesome for Notre Dame. That's great for their de- development. Kudos to Chancey Stuckey and Jared Parker. That also tells you Notre Dame's depth is not remotely where it needs to be. I wonder, actually, right now I'm going to see exactly how much, what kind of numbers Braden Fisk has put up for Florida State. I saw that he was on the goal line the other night. I I, I I really don't, I'm really not sure how much productivity uh, he has provided for them this season, but man, I loved him coming out of coming out of Western Michigan last year. I, I, I was really disappointed when he w- did not choose Notre Dame. I'm not sure how many quality defensive tackles are are uh, sitting out there in the transfer portal every year either. I think you could get a great reserve for Notre Dame defensive tackle. Um, I mean, they got one from Harvard when they needed. Desperately, and Chris Smith. I say that I forget his name already. Yeah, yep, yep, and that yep. was a, that was an important one. Now they only got him because AK ninety two. He's our, he made our podcast three times. He got hurt that day. That's why they went out and got Chris Smith. When you asked Marcus Freeman, do you need a tackle in the portal? Like I don't know. Twenty hour, twenty minutes later, they had a tackle in the portal. But <laughs> I think a reserve guy like that you can always find. I don't. You reserve guys are great if Howard Cross comes back. Then you bring in a reserve guy. Yeah, Braden Fisk. By the way, uh, twenty nine tackles, two sacks. Uh, about the tenth leading tackler on their team. The he gets top... to go to the playoff. He he did okay. They keep winning. <laughs> yeah, well, he made the right choice, man. It's going to work out just fine for him at this point. Now their quarterback situation is uh, is in jeopardy. Of course, we have a question from uh, it's Abby. Be happy. Rico Flores Jr. had more than one hundred yards receiving against Wake Forest. Take us off the list from the podcast. <laughs> He's off. We got to tell Samson on Wednesday. He. First thing he said in the press box was I've he's gone over 100 yards. So glad it was Flora, glad it was Flores Jr. And what a great post game press conference with him. He's like that every time he talks. He's unbelievable. The you you've alluded to it, um, but when you can see and hear and honestly almost feel the genuine appreciation that someone has for, for their current state in life. And that's Rico Flores being at Notre Dame. And when you talk to people around the program and, and they tell you how many great friends he's made that have nothing to do with Notre Dame football, they're just the way that he's embraced them and they've embraced him here on the Notre Dame campus. I think those are the things. And and he is candid about talking about he didn't come up from a lot. He didn't grow oh, up great. a lot. And I, um, I pulled it up, John. I wanted to read it oh, for people. Yeah, sorry, that, go ahead. For people that uh, listen more than read, which is most. He was asked, "What has been your inspiration for this year for you?" And he said, "Inspiration for me, I'd say the people that I lost and people that are in prison or in jail that I have, my loved ones, and where I came from. I ain't grew up sweet at all. That's my drive. Just keep going for the people that can't, and my family, my mom, and little sister. I mean." Well, a no, great answer. And and Audrey Castame had I thought had a great comment about his experience in Notre Dame and the people and and you know he he chose what was in the best interest of his development and he couldn't be happier about choosing Notre Dame. Rico Flores is just like the concept of being a student athlete at Notre Dame just yeah. makes Rico Flores break into that that legendary smile that he has, but the the hundred yards, just to clarify for those that haven't heard this Rico Flores jr. Was the first Nordame wide receiver to have triple digit yardage receiving in a game since Kevin Austin, Kevin Austin, Lorenzo Styles, Styles, both over a hundred yards, Chris Tyree also over a hundred, but he was still a running back at that time, but it's taken 24 games for Nordame to get a a wide receiver with with triple digit reception yards. Did you see Rico's face when you told him that in the post game? Yeah. He's yeah. like, I know it's been a while. I don't know what. You told him he's like his face lit up when you said the yeah, fiesta. Yeah. He's like, wow. Yeah. <laughs> That's good times. Yeah. Uh we have a question from is it a question or it's really a statement? It's Chad and 424 and it's in response to Greg Fulman's comments about 
um, Tobias Merriweather. So the comment by Chad in 424 is, don't let at Tim Priester see you hyping up Tobias Merriweather. Yes, Tobias Merriweather was great all season, and I just bury the lead all the time with him. Yeah, and also uh, I would like to point out that it is not Greg, Tim's, John's, Pete's, mine, Eric's, Matt, or anyone else's job to hype a player when you're covering them at Notre Dame. You are supposed to report what you see and what you think. Tobias Merriweather, touchdown. And as John Bryce said, the touchdown wasn't his best play. The first down game was more important because all he did was run open for his touchdown. He should have been he should have been running open for one touchdown about five different times this year, but making the play on a ball was a nice play. It was it was significant. Making that first down catch, I'm telling you guys, um, because when you rewatch the Clemson film on that deep ball, and it just does not look like he completed the effort for the ball. And I don't think I'm the only one who noticed that. I know I'm not the only one yeah. who noticed that. <laughs> I, I'm, I and, and I'm saying that I'm not on campus right now, but people who are on campus right now saw you that. You don't mean on this podcast. <laughs> so um, he, he he had to show that. He had to come back and show some things to his teammates and to the people that he shares those locker rooms with. I, I do. I want to defend the value, though, of that post pattern that he scored a touchdown oh, because, yeah. because of the way he ran the route. He was aggressive. He attacked number one, Kalen Carson. Kalen Carson is a, is a guy that Wake Forest believes will play in the NFL. And he disarmed him or he got his footwork off because he pressed and pressed and got Kalen Carson on his heels. Then Merriweather gave a little bit of wiggle. Once he gave wiggle, he uh, he he created the separation. It was really, really a beautiful route. I, I agree um, with, with what you're saying, JB. But that route was great too against a against a really good cornerback. And you know what? Um, and to to further complement that play, he had to wait on the ball a little bit, which allowed yeah. the DB to close on him. And we've seen that be a problem for Tobias Merriweather in the past when he's won a route and then had to wait on the ball and not been able to hold the concentration, but he held the concentration, he held the ball, and he scored a touchdown. That's a great point because when I saw it coming in, I thought to myself, oh, he has to catch this. And it was because he had to wait on the ball in that situation. Yeah. Next yeah. question from Sankey. Is Eli Raritan frustrated he didn't get a red shirt? Essentially, two seasons of eligibility have been wasted for him. Well, I think that um, I think Eli Raritan was concerned about burning another year of eligibility and not really having an integral role in 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 Notre Dame's offense. It, it, he's now played ten games. He has used up both years of eligibility. I think scoring the touchdown and catching yeah. three passes has probably <laughs> has probably really adjusted the way Eli Raritan looks at things now. Also, with the knowledge that he has two more games in a bowl game that he's going to play in. You can understand why the kid would would not want to burn that year of eligibility. But again, if he can stay healthy through the, re- the rest of the season, through the spring and going into the summer, he's going to have two very productive years as a, as a I don't know, you can say starting tight end. We'll see what happens with, with Mitchell Evans, but as a very productive tight end. They start two tight ends. He'll be, you know. That's, yeah, I know. Yeah. But I mean, you still have stays. You still have. You know, number you have number eighty-seven in there uh, now as well. So it'll be difficult. They're gonna they're all going to play. You can never have, you never have enough tight ends. They can be used in so many different ways. But yeah, I'm sure there's a level of frustration with Raritan. But I bet that touchdown helped a whole bunch. Yeah, and I I think he's a, a mature kid who's grown up around the game. Obviously, I think that helps him deal with some of these situations. I think he is very much a a team first guy. I think that he's been working back and trying to get back to where he felt fully comfortable and full, fully healthy to be able to commit uh, to helping at a high level. I'll, sh- I'll share this with you guys. Last August, I was talking to Jason Garrett before the 22 season started, and he told me at that point in time, he had watched a couple of Notre Dame practices, and he said, nine, I don't know his name. Nine might have been the best player I saw on the field today. Jason Garrett loves Eli Raritan. And we all loved him last year before he got hurt, of course. But I think that tells you the skill set that that he possesses when a guy that coached Hall of Famer Jason Witten for so long comes out gushing about a Notre Dame practice that he had full access and the guy he couldn't wait to talk about was number nine, Eli Raritan. And uh, for those that have not liked Jason Garrett's work, which I know is a, is a large segment 
you can be happy now because I think Saturday was the last game that he's going to do for NBC. I think he'll get back into coaching. And uh, I just think that if people would have, you know, look, he's uncomfortable when he's going to a commercial break and he's got to kind of hype what has just happened. And then they go to the commercial break. He's not comfortable doing that. But if good Lord, if we just would have stopped to listen to what Jason Garrett had to say about the game of football, I think we would all be smarter for it. But everybody made up their mind that his voice wasn't right or his delivery wasn't right. If we just would have listened to what he had to say, I know I learned a lot of football listening to Jason Garrett as an analyst for NBC games. Yeah, I, I enjoyed the, the the listen back. I always try to put myself in position of the fan listening to the game that's frustrated with the way the game is going when an announcer is talking, as opposed to me knowing the final score and everything that's about to happen. But I like I like all the analysis he provides. I think sometimes when people are mad at announcers, they're mad at the uh, the game situation too. And you're certainly not going to be happy when if Notre Dame's losing to Clemson and anybody's pointing it out. I mean, I bet they didn't like Greg McElroy as much that day as they normally do. Yeah, now I'm all look, Paul. I think Paul Burmeister is absolutely ready to be the yes. TV guy. Now, talking to talking to him on numerous occasions, he's he has said, you know, being a radio guy and being a TV guy are, are very, very different. He, he's very comfortable doing radio. I don't know if he'll be given the opportunity by NBC, but I do know he's a very intelligent dude and would be perfectly capable of doing a fine job uh, as the play by play man for NBC's TV broadcast. Good question here because it's tough to answer. TWS eighty three thirty seven. Who has been the better player at nickel? Bracy twenty two. Harper twenty three. I th- I do think it's a great question, and I and I think that you know we Tim, you and I love Bracy last year. I think Harper's maybe a little bit more complete, can probably do more things. I am going to miss seeing Thomas Harper play another year because that was just a that was just a taste of it, and it just it's not enough. I want to see him play again next year for Notre Dame. Yeah, they were both really underrated against the run. Um, I want everybody listening and and the and the uh, screen pass, the horizontal screens. Everybody that asks why isn't insert name Jaden Mickey, somebody else, a, a cover corner? Why isn't he the nickel? Those days are gone because the nickel is a base, and the nickel is a guy built like Jalen Ramsey, not Jalen Mickey. Uh, I'm not comparing Bracey or Harper to, to Ramsey, but he was a tremendous nickel when he played, when he was a young player for Florida state, you need to be able to hold out against the run because you are basically the Rover. You're basically a Rover in Notre Dame's defense now at nickel. Plus you have to be able to cover a lot better than the Rover. Yeah. I, I thought Thomas Harper, I, I would just give a slight edge to him as, as TP said, maybe for his completeness or really just his physicality, he could do some things in the running game that I thought made a real difference for Notre Dame, particularly earlier in the year. Uh, I I remember specifically uh, just seeing him show up time and again, I want to say in the Ohio state game. And that was a big boy game with a lot of NFL players on both sides of the ball. Yeah. Well, coach golden mentioned Tim, sorry to interrupt. Golden said uh, what he was asked about Harper, he was at his best in our three big games. And that's what you want as a fan from anybody. Yeah. I probably won't predict where he's going to be drafted because I did such a lousy (laughs) job with Bracey last year, but I just, but I mean, that's just a testament to how, how, I mean, I just thought that Bracey was that good uh, as a nickel last year, but yeah, I I would give a slight edge to Harper and maybe his, um, his in his medicals may work against him a little bit, although he's he's had a essentially a healthy year this year. So I just lo- I love the way both those guys attack the position, and they'll have to find somebody again next year. It's such a significant, it's a way more significant part of the defense now because it generally tends to be your base now most of the time. Yeah, he he plays more snaps than Jack Kaiser, and Jack Kaiser's yeah. a heck of a player. He's gonna who, then. Remember, the other question not taken all that well, because I probably didn't ask at the right time. Are you looking for a grad transfer nickel again because you've had so much success with fifth-year guys? The answer is going to be yes. The answer that day was not necessarily. (laughs) But I think the answer will, of course, be yes. Question for Kaiser Wilhelm. All eyes are on Jared Parker and L. Golden, but are there any assistants that you think could depart in the offseason? Who would be your first call to replace them? We seem to get these questions a lot. I don't know if, uh, if... the people that ask the questions aren't listening to our to all of our podcasts because I feel like we're addressing this on a well, Kaiser Wilhelm is so I'm concerned here. This he should be well, he should yeah, be listening to these I, things. I mean, I, I think we can. I think we've said these names, but we'll say them again as guys that may move on, uh, especially with 
the Syracuse head coaching job open now. I yeah. don't like to think about that one. Yeah, Al Golden, well, you guys segued me into it, and I figured we would discuss it on this podcast today, but made calls last night, continue to make calls today. Um, and frankly, I was asked three weeks ago um, if I thought Al Golden would be a fit by, by a college football person, if I thought Al Golden would be a fit, assuming Syracuse came over. I said then at the time I believed Al Golden would have interest and would be a natural fit there. I've talked to too many people um, in different areas, including some folks that were on Notre Dame staff his first year that are no longer in the program who said when they would go recruiting with him in the Northeast, in Jersey and in New York, um, that he just has such a sterling reputation there that people love him, people gravitate to him. I think Al Golden is a legitimate candidate for the Syracuse job. You'll probably hear Jeff Monken's name some. Kentucky offensive coordinator Liam Cohen is another name you'll hear some. There will be some other guys pop up out there, but Al Golden, I can tell you right now, um, is believed to be a very legitimate candidate for Syracuse, which means I would expect Al Golden to get an interview for the Syracuse job. All I really heard there is, John, uh, you can be blamed for <laughs> saying that he was a candidate. That anybody um, wants Dylan, to take their ire out on somebody, it could be you. Dylan McCullough, it's going to be interesting what what happens in the MAC. Um, it's no secret Dylan McCullough came back from the NFL level to the college level to create a path to become a head coach. Um, we spend a little bit of time with Dylan, not a lot, but he presents himself very well like a head coach. He has a head coach demeanor. And he has head coach aspirations. If depending on which Mac jobs open up, had it been a really bad year at Miami of Ohio, I think Dylan would have been a top candidate there. That's his alma mater. Instead, Chuck Martin has been brilliant, uh, and I doubt he goes anywhere uh, unless the Indiana job comes open, and then you could potentially oh. see some cascading stuff. But Dylan McCullough, Chris O'Leary, Al Golden, those are the guys uh, I would look to as potentially being wooed into other spots. Yeah, and O'Leary, of course, interviewed with the Ravens last year. That speaks to his abilities as a as a safety coach being interviewed by the NFL. Uh, but we'll see. I, I you know, I I'm not sure how comfortable I am throwing out defensive coordinator names right now. I I I mean I'm not. Yeah. <laughs> we talked a little bit about offensive coordinators on you'd be you'd be throwing them out, is what you're saying. Yeah, I would. <laughs> I mean, I would tell you, yeah, I you know, I I don't like to be a hot takes guy um, per se, and I'm just not prepared to to do something like that here now. But uh, and we talked about you know offensive coordinator guys that we liked last uh, last Thursday. I think it was when Samson was with us. But it'll all unfold. There's plenty of time for all of this uh, to be discussed. And we are going to wrap up with a question from Not Jay Tafel. One percentage wise, these players are on the roster next season. He wants a percentage of odds of them coming back. I'll start with linebacker Maris Leofau. I was kind of rather rate them in order if they might come back. Okay. I don't, can't go for it, Tim. Go for it. Yep. Uh, Tobias uh, Merriweather is the most likely to come back. You know, I didn't say all the names. Maris Leofau, Blake Fisher, Chris Tyree, Xavier Watts, Tobias Merriweather, and Steve Angeli. Tobias Merriweather, a rising junior, is the most likely to come back. I don't see why he would not. Um, I would say a big drop-off after that, but then I would go Steve Angeli, a rising junior, because if he's patient, he can see number, no matter who they, okay, let's say they bring in a Sam Hartman-level starter. I don't mean that accomplished, but a guy that's going to start. Steve Angeli could see the value in being the number two that could be one snap away. Um, I'm not saying he will see that value, but he's number two on my list. Three on my list is Tyree, because I don't think he will go pro, which means he would be choosing to go be featured somewhere else. And I just, I know people have talked about that around our boards and, and some sources too. I don't see that from Chris Tyree personally. Um, Xavier Watts, because there's a master's degree potentially out there for him. Maris Leofau would be in his sixth year. That's the only reason Leofau is not ahead of Xavier Watts for me is because Maris Leofau would be in his sixth year. I don't, I don't get that one. And I think Blake Fisher is the most likely to leave of the group. Yeah, I think I would, um, if we were doing coin toss odds or, or whatever, I would, um, you know, Tobias Merriweather and Steve Angeli, I like them at maybe better than 50%. Um, Tobias should just come back. You yeah. would think, right? I mean, yeah, Angeli yeah. at least would, Tobias has a pat, is in the rotation next year. 
right. Angeli could have playing time blocked. That's the difference yeah. for those two. Yeah, but um, but I think those two, um, I would say are more likely to come back than not. Um, I think Chris Tyree is leaning toward returning to Notre Dame as of right now. Uh, but I'll, I'll say this in terms of Chris Tyree and Xavier Watts, and I'm talking to other coaches around the country who are already dealing with it. Um, there's an SEC team that's got a, a breakout defensive end who um, who they signed to an NIL deal to get him in recruiting, and he's going back into the portal in a couple of weeks because he's played so well. His market has gone up, and he expects to command a significant six-figure payday. So one of the best ways if Notre Dame is really invested in trying to have Xavier Watts and Chris Tyree to return would be what can – what can an NIL opportunity look like for those two guys? And then with Maris Leofau and Blake Fisher, I think it's a, a 50-50 coin toss at best. And Maris, if it was a fifth, fourth year coming back as a fifth year, I think he'd be better than 50-50. But sixth year, only guy coming back out of that, you know, it, that seems like a tough. And, and he's had injuries. And, and he, yeah. again, he could play well again next year, but it would hard it would be hard for him to put together a full body of work much better than what he's done this year. I generally agree with the way you're rating these guys in terms of percentages of coming back. Merriweather, I'm not sure that I put Angeli there because, I mean, it, I, I mean, I'm, his path to playing time is more blocked than it is the only one with a blocked path of playing time on this list. That's yeah, that's true. But then CJ Carr is around and he doesn't know how they're going to perceive him. I, I, I don't know. I, I mean, I generally agree that. Those are the two most likely. And then definitely Chris Tyree would be next on that list for me of Leah Fisher and Watts. I guess they would pay Watts. They would pay Watts. Oh yeah. And I don't, yeah, I guess I wasn't when you said six year for Leah I guess I really wasn't thinking in those terms, which he is, but yet in order for him to be ready for the NFL, he needs another year of college football. And I think he probably realizes that, but he also, realizes that the the clock is ticking as well too as a as a six-year senior Xavier Watts is on a roll man I mean he's on a roll I don't you know you can't just look at interceptions and say okay he's ready for the NFL but if you're Xavier Watts you understand why he would feel the way that the way that he does so would love to see him come back because now again from the perspective of what I think is in his best interest to play longer in the NFL. I'm not, I'm not evaluating it from Notre Dame's perspective. Leofal definitely needs to come back to have a, to forge a, a better career in the NFL. I, I go with John a little on what his point was with Leofal. He was finally had a fully healthy year. year. Yeah. The way he plays violently, he might not have another fully healthy year of college football. At yeah, 20, maybe, you know? maybe, maybe not, but I don't think I, you know, I think as the season has progressed, we've seen him kind of level off and leveling off heading into the NFL draft isn't as good as being on the rise heading into the NFL draft. Blake Fisher, I, I think Blake Fisher wants to play professional football. Um, I also think that, oh, it's funny that Blake Fisher and Blake Wesley have the same first name because I thought that, I thought Blake Wesley, the basketball player, had a much, much better chance of forging a career as an NBA player as opposed to a money grab and sitting on the bench every single game for the Spurs in his second year in the NBA. Um, I don't, there's actually a related question to this, Tim It's from at Tim O'Malley ND on Twitter. What do you, um, got, Tim O'Malley? <laughs> you have NAL money to pay one of these players who you paying. One of how many, one of these guys right here, you got to pay one six? of these guys listed who you pay. Uh, you're going you're gonna to pay more than one NIL money. I'm saying you get all the NIL money in one basket. Who you paying more? Who's getting a giant bump? Everybody else you got to ignore. Yo. <laughs> I am paying uh, Watts. I, think, I'm paying I would Xavier say Watts. Watts because I would say Watts because I think Watts' ceiling is the highest. In, in the, on, at Notre Dame, who will give you the most productivity? I think Xavier Watts's ceiling is higher. And I, I think the only argument would be Blake Fisher because he's our tackle for next year. I was I was going to say I can entertain an argument for Blake Fisher <laughs> because you know you're losing Joe Alt. You know you're going to have a brand new starting quarterback next year. Uh, even what you bring back on the interior of the line is not going to have a full season under its belt, no matter who wins the starting positions at those three positions. 
So I do think you could find an argument that you could say, okay, if we only have X number of dollars and they all have to go to one, it's Blake Fisher and here's why. Which isn't real, but it's more fun for a podcast to give all the the money to one guy. (laughs) And I think each, you know, each year it's getting more difficult to project guys because guys are, I mean, with NL money, they're thinking, they're thinking NFL, but from NIL money to NFL money, that's a boost. Uh, I don't, I don't know that we're ever going to go into the, the, the transfer portal time and era being certain about one guy or another about what he's going to do. Is he going to go pro? Does he want to come back? Does he want to go somewhere else where he can get a little bit more playing time? It's getting more difficult each and every year. Uh, That's going to be it for today's Irish Illustrated Insider. We will be back on Wednesday, uh, early Wednesday. We're going to try to hit early Wednesday because uh, Thursday is Thanksgiving and nobody should be doing a podcast on Thanksgiving, should they? We're not going to. We will not be. Huh? We will not be. <laughs> but I hope everyone, have we, have we ever. So that would be. But I hope everyone listening has a great Thanksgiving. And I appreciate you guys for including me on the pod. JB, you belong here. We're glad to have you. I think our podcasts are better with you. And uh, we're happy to have you. Tim? Would like to reiterate, JB did bring the information that he told people that Al Golden <laughs> would be a fit somewhere. And if we're going to blame somebody when Al Golden leaves, JB. So, right. Go. JB got L Golden the job as head coach. <laughs> Actually, JB, you'll take that trade off for the yeah. agent's agent fee. <laughs> I wish. I'm, I'm choosing. I'm choosing the bumpy road, guys. Now <laughs> I've got to show you that I'm anti-fragile moving forward. <laughs> Until Wednesday, this is Tim, I've been. This is Tim Priester with Tim O'Malley and John Bryce, and we are Irish Illustrated.